Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. We have another great episode for you today. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and like us on Facebook on It's a Long Beach Thing. I'm bringing on my new friend, Kelly Flyder. Kelly, how are you today? So good. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm glad that you reached out to me through LinkedIn and we got to uh, talk. Yes, uh, you have a great channel. I think it's amazing. I am a lover of Long Beach. And to have something like this and hear from other entrepreneurs and just kind of things that are going on in your community, since it's so big, it's easy to lose track of all the important things. So thank you for having this and thank you for having me. I'm very, very um, honored. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Yes. All right. What's your association with this great city of Long Beach? So I grew up in Lakewood. I was a Lancer and I loved... Uh, the area. And so I applied to Long Beach State knowing that it was just going to be a much bigger version of Lakewood. And I fell in love with it. I worked there through college. I uh, started dating someone, which we ended up getting married. And everything about Long Beach is just absolutely the best. I love to see how it's building and growing. I have two kids now and they're starting to get in activities and being able to see it through them is just the reminder of how much I love this city and I love the people. And it's big enough where you meet new people and you get to hear about things, but you're not feeling overwhelmed or like it's a tourist attraction where it's just a constant flow of people in and out. Absolutely. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about you uh, going to Long Beach State. What was your experience there? What did you study? What were you doing? It was great. I loved Long Beach State. Um, I studied communication and really got interested in the arts when I was there. Not the theater per se, but just performance studies and understanding the application of communication and how we can really open up dialogue with uh, different people. And I think that's what Long Beach State really does well. It has just a constant um, flow of information and new individuals, some coming from far, some locally. And it was great. I loved going to all the sporting events uh, as a communication major. They Professors pushed hard for you to go because there was a lot of athletes in that program, which was great because you got to, you know, have school spirit and uh, not having a campus with a huge football team, you know, it plays different. And so it was nice to appreciate volleyball and basketball. I was a soccer player growing up, so I got to do that. In fact, my son now is at the 49er camp at Long Beach State right now, so he gets to dabble in all of that. So I just love that Long Beach is such a staple to uh, the city, and it was it was just such a great time. Still go to dirtbag games. The dirtbags are awesome, and so you get a little slice of what it was like when you were an undergrad and beyond. Oh wow! I didn't know you went to dirtbag games. I have uh, season tickets. I'm there all the time. Uh, next it's time, I'll have to say hi. Yes, I love the dirtbag games. 
And then 49er camp, I don't know if you went there as a kid, but I went there as a kid. I didn't. I, you know, my son's six, so I'm starting to hear through friends with kids around the same age or a little bit slightly older of uh, what is Long Beach and all the little activities. So it's great learning from other people. And he started last week and he's really enjoying it. They do such a good job over there. So they camp. absolutely do. I think I learned how to swim at that camp. Yeah. I mean, that's his favorite thing. So we're, we're doing something right. Yeah. So communications major that's a very broad major so when you were at school what did you think you're going to be we were going to be doing outside of college at that time you know I really didn't know I know I wanted to work with people I liked the idea of events at one point I loved public speaking so I had a feeling I would be in that world and somehow um some I was very fascinated with learning about new cultures and uh, diving into new communities and learning, but also partaking in them. I didn't want to be just an observer. So I think I really got that understanding through my program that there's so many different ways. And it wasn't until I started looking at graduate programs. And like I said, I was very interested in performance studies that I saw a program at USC on applied theater arts. And that to me was where I needed to extend from my undergraduate studies to beyond because I was understanding that that desire to work with people and be in a public space and communicate and be able to uh, speak on behalf or speak with was really fascinating to me. So I really do think Long Beach State helps me um, give me the signs of what it is that I wanted to do. And it made me feel a little bit more confident once I saw something that I was very attracted to professionally. I, I knew this was the right pipeline for me. So you graduate Long Beach State. You know, you're kind of, you have a lot of avenues that you may want to travel through. Uh, so talk, talk us through this path in your life. Yeah, so I I went to college and I got my master's in something called applied theater arts. And basically it was blending therapy and theater techniques as a way to heal. And, and I was fascinated by this outlet. And it was creating workshops where people could work through trauma or it was having very intense conversations about race or gender identity and doing so in a way where it wasn't just experts telling you what to do and what to think and here's the articles. It really was a space for everyone to learn on their own and navigate their own version of what the lesson is. So if we're talking about um, generational trauma, that looks different from me to you. And it was an opportunity to use the arts and navigate that space. And I think that was what was so interesting because growing up I always enjoyed theater and performing but I knew I didn't necessarily want to be an actor I didn't want to be on Broadway I wanted something more uh, but I didn't know what that looked like and so being able to work in an accelerated program that was constantly throwing you in as a workshop expert before you were an expert was great I, and I think I've taken those skills throughout my life of understanding that I'm a hands-on learner and if I'm going to work with other people I want them to feel comfortable so rather than 
forcing a lesson or education or knowledge on them. It was, where are you starting? How can we learn through this together? Because ultimately, I really don't think anyone is an expert at one craft. What I believe is they're constantly learning. I think we hone in on certain skills and that's where the word, word expert comes in. But I think we are um, always gonna be children of knowledge and it's very important for us to learn from other people. And so when I started going to graduate school, I was invited to study in a program in Brazil and it was known as the Theater of the Oppressed, the Center of the Theater of the Oppressed. And it was on um, workshops on race and uh, oppression and sexual violence. And that's where I really found my niche. And I said, this is what I want to do. I'm fascinated by this. How can I create this art form and bring it back to the States in a way where people can benefit off of it, not just the artists and the activists who want to go and learn about sexual violence, oppression, race. Um, how can I bring this to the mainstream? So it was very inspired and motivated to keep that uh, train of inspiration and knowledge and storytelling uh, to uh, the professional world. And that's what I do. I want to really dive into that, but before I, I do that, you you said something that that triggered my mind, and I wanted to talk about it just for a moment. You talked about it's important that we, uh, or uh, as human beings, we have all kinds of uh, expertise. We you know we it's not we're just not one lane, and I think that's ex extremely important to bring up. And the reason why I think it's extremely important to bring up is because kids coming up, and even adults, you know, in the in the workforce. Uh, technology is changing very, very, very quickly and it's eliminating jobs and it's creating jobs. So mm -hmm. especially the kids coming up through college right now, they could come into a field and that field might change within a few years and we have to pivot. So it's, it's, it's okay for, for somebody to say, you know what, I don't know what I want to do for the next 40 years of my life because, you know, you know, I just don't know. And I think that's Okay. And, uh, you know, get, in, get into something, see if you like it, and then and then pivot. Because I feel like us as a society, we have to be nimble because things are, are, are changing so rapidly. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I'm a huge um, advocate for someone going to college because of the experience, not necessarily the education in the lane that you're in but the experience of you're not in um you know a, a parent's home anymore or uh, whoever raised you you are now taking classes on your own you're choosing you're not being told what to do you're picking what lanes but that's where i think the pressure is and i remember myself feeling that way of i need a job immediately after uh college and Truthfully, there's the pressure, right? You're picking a major to understand what that field is. And also that's uh, depictions in the media. You hear people getting internships right away. They're 22 and they're on the lane of success. That's not realistic. And I think knowing where you want to go, but knowing that that you will pivot is the best type of um, gift you can give yourself because you're not stuck. You're not placed um, into a box where you're limited. Uh, my son Easton, he's six and he asks me all the time, what do I want to be when I grow up? 
And it was so interesting the first time he asked me that question, because naturally you're playing, right? You're playing with a, a, a child's imagination. But then I thought, how great we don't ask that question as adults. We, we oh, what do you do for work? As if that's the only thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Um, and to your, your point of jobs are created and taken away so easily, that's not necessarily an attribute to failure just because you are not working out in something because it may not have anything to do with you. But going back to what my son says, it's really wonderful. Like I could be a chef in 10 years. I could decide that that's what I want to do. I could create this whole meal plan that I send out to neighbors or people in Long Beach, or I could start coaching um, uh, either one of my kids uh, soccer teams and decide I really want to invest more in um, Long Beach sports and recreation. So I think it's really interesting to ask these questions that we used to ask when we were younger. And uh, it's adorable when we hear a four-year-old say, I want to be an astronaut or a cop. And then let's say one does become a police officer over time. How adorable that they stuck with that goal. But how much better if we have a new answer every couple of years and we're pushing ourselves to do that? I think that's why as adults, we hold on to New, new Year's resolutions, right? It's this little glimmer of, oh, I'm going to do something different that I've never done before. And a lot of us hold on to realistic um, goals. I'm going to lose this amount of weight. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to make amends with blank, blank, blank. Those are fantastic. But where's the personal goals that we are striving for? And I think if we tap into that and realize we're not as old as we think, or our lives are not over because the schooling age is done, there's a lot more that we can do. And I truthfully believe that would make a lot more people happier. I think we are a culture where we work so extremely hard that it's easy to get burned out, even if something you like. But what if we're adding something new to give us that revamp? Who knows what that could do for our happiness and our mental mind, our stability, our relationships. I think we have a lot more potential than we're tapping into. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, it's hard for people uh, to be present, right? We we think about stuff that happened in the past. We think about the future. We got bills to pay. We got kids to feed. We got things to do. So it's hard to be present in the moment. And I think yeah. that if we can do that a little bit more, take some time for ourselves. Uh, I think as a society, we'd be a little bit more happier. Um, because we're living in the in the moment because ultimately I mean we have the past we have the future and and yeah I mean there's things that we need we've learned from and there are things that we have obligations for so I get it but mm -hmm. if we could just take some time just for ourselves to enjoy the now because what happens when you especially when you're an extremely busy you go through life your kids grow up and you look back and you go wow where'd the time go yeah. And the time I think goes faster when you're not living in the present, when you're just living in the past or in the future and you're not enjoying the now um, because that's all, all we really got. So I, I really appreciate your, your, your point there. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's also about celebrating the past too. There's so many things we think 
I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done that. But I remember um, when New Year's 2020, everybody said, what did you do in the last 10 years? Pick a core memory from 2010, 11, 12. And when I went back and did that, I was like, I can't believe I, I forget. I graduated with my master's degree that I did this. I had like, there's so many things we forget about and including the bad ruptures, right? The bad things that happen. I got out of a really bad time because of this, but we focus so much on uh, trying to keep that face and that presence that we're always happy and always in a good mood. That's not the reality. And we don't have to, bring down the energy of other people or ourselves by admitting some things, but looking in the past really can help you reflect all the things that you are happy for. Or if we lose someone, for instance, instead of saying, I can't believe we didn't, but what about all the things we did do and reminding ourselves that there's so much joy that we forget because we have to get out of the house for this. We have an interview. We have to da, 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 da. There's so many things that I think we're losing and um, it's hard. I get it. I myself struggle with that all the time. But I think we could be much happier if we take a breath and look at the moments and say things like, what was a great thing I did today? Or what was something a stranger did that was kind to me? Or what was I like as a kid that I am now? I think there's a lot of timelines that we can bridge back together. I agree. I, we, we can go on and on about this. Because this is a subject that I really enjoy, because especially with the field of work I'm in. But let's get back to you. Okay, so you graduate your, from your master's. You're starting to kind of have an idea of what you want to do. Um, so take us through what, what you did to get to where you're at right now with your company. Yeah, so... Like I said, I was very excited and very inspired to continue this performance journey. And I started working with organizations and I got a little glimpse into how other people did things. And I, I really am a team player, but as I watched these other organizations, I realized how much I wanted to create my own uh category of what this looked like. And like I said, I was so inspired by what I learned in Brazil because it was um, people across the world coming together and creating these workshops together. It, it wasn't just one culture, one generation. It was a melting pot of uh, beauty and art. So I uh, was approached by, I was working with some military contact uh, contracts, and I was approached by the Department of Navy Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Team in the Pentagon. They had seen me working, and they said, we really like your style, and we really want to see something new, and you seem to want to adapt. A lot of the programs that they had been working with or that they had seen were one narrative, and it was not enough for them. And they said, could you create something um, that spoke to the military on sexual violence, sexual harassment, um, suicidal ideations? Can you play with that? And I, I jumped at the chance. I was already in the process of incorporating my own company, Pure Praxis. And, and I started working with them. So from 2015 to 2019, I was the primary uh, my company, Pure Praxis, I, I was the primary 
sexual assault prevention and awareness program for the entire Department of Navy and the Marine Corps. So we would travel to the installations both domestically and internationally and provide these workshops for them, which were a blend of scripted and improvised um, um, versions of scenarios that they might see, retaliation when someone reported uh, being sexually assaulted or um, anything under that umbrella. And it was wonderful. I, I have an amazing team. I, I started hiring. The volume of requests that we were getting to travel was insane. I actually, my husband and I got married and the week prior to our wedding, I started working. We got married, went on our honeymoon, came back three weeks later, and I did not stop until basically COVID. And uh, it was, I hired this amazing amount of um, actor advocates and we trained ourselves on the work. I trained them on the program enough where they were actors and facilitators and we traveled the world and got to do these amazing presentations that were life-changing for us and for the service men and women because they had um, the military for so long has always had this type of training. It's called um, SAPR or SHARP and it um, is an acronym for sexual assault prevention or sexual harassment and uh, prevention and they had seen it before and they've seen PowerPoints and they've heard lectures and the work is so important. Peer Praxis came in and we were giving a visual representation. Everything that they've had on these PowerPoints for decades, we were coming in and playing it as actors and adding humor and um, uh, drama and emotions and research. And truthfully, the, the formula that works is using actors to tell someone's story can be a powerful way to enhance empathy and an understanding of a serious topic. So by leveraging the skills of our actors, meaning who we are, um, how we portray, what our identity is, what our gender is, how we may say certain lines, um, how we may convey different emotions, the story can be con effectively conveyed. And like I said, it encourages empathy and promotes dialogue about these important issues. And the dialogue didn't exist before. It was more lecture-based. And here we are asking questions. What happened? Where were the red flags? How did we get to this moment? Because if you remember, everyone was laughing and they were all at that party. And now we're seeing threats or retaliation or um, bystanders not doing anything. Where did we get to this point? And the audience is able to, through our actors, navigate the story and the understanding of what it is. So it's wonderful and uh, I love what we do. And because of working with the military, I started contracts with other sectors, civilians, universities, students, as young as fifth grade. And it's just been a journey that I love. I'm so blessed to be doing it. And I'm inspired by the audience and my team all the time to create new material and learn from them. Because again, we're experts together versus in individually. There's so much to dive into. You gave me so much information. Uh, let me, let, let's go back a little, a little way. So you were working for another organization, kind of doing this slim, similar thing. 
and then the, and the Navy reaches out to you. You must have been a superstar for them to just come out and, and reach out to you because maybe it's huge. So yeah. Talk to uh, us a little bit about that. Thank you so much. It, it was. it. That's one of those things that I look back on, right? Our time and our timelines. It's, it's really important. I always believed in this work and I always knew I had a vision and I would look for opportunities to expand my knowledge. And it was very nice to look back and reflect because my actions were noticed by other people without me trying to get involved. Having them approach me with that conversation was eye-opening. And I just, it was one of the best things to me. It meant so much because working hard on a craft is one thing. Having someone else recognize it and um, tell you your worth was something I'll never forget. And because of that reaction and that feeling that I had, it's important to me to give that where else I can. And that might be compliments or supporting other people's work or advocating for them. Because uh, I think so many people are trying hard. You know, I'm a small business. And if I'm not traveling I'm working from home I don't have a big office that supports this I it is just me and so traveling the world and having a team to rely on is wonderful but making sure other people have those platforms to either travel tour facilitate be introduced to new people is something that I can give back because I was giving this opportunity on something I knew I could do and I didn't want to take advantage of that without passing that on. Was there a lot of pressure from you? I mean, coming from the Navy to come up with some good materials. <laughs> so what was your thought process there? Yeah, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, you're such a good public speaker. I still get nervous, but that's excitement. That's adrenaline. And it's the same with that first conversation or that first interview, no matter who I'm speaking with, I still get the butterflies, but that's because I'm so passionate about it and that won't go away. And so it's an opportunity for me to use those nerves as adrenaline. And so when I get into that space, I have fun. And like I said, they don't, they, uh, most of the military was not uh, aware of our services. So walking into a space, which now I take as a full honor and hearing them go, I don't want to do this and adding some explicit language here and there. And I get it. I get it. You know, when you have a million responsibilities and you're voluntold to be in a space and, hey, these people are going to do something. And I think they're actors. They're going to roll their eyes and they're going to think it's very after school specialty. And five to 10 minutes in they're hooked and they're so excited. So as nervous as I get, I believe in what I'm doing. So I know, just let me start. Let me get there. You're going to be wowed. And it's it's a lot of fun. It's fun for me to get into that space. And it's uh, we take testimonials and feedback after the trainings. And I would say 50%. I didn't want to be here, but so glad I am. Or I'm going to be honest, I was about to boo you, but then you got out there. And I just want to say thank you because you were telling my story or I've seen that before or 
I've been in the uh, army for 25 years. I've never seen anything like this. Um, it just means a lot. You know, we get the range of that was so cool. How is this to I have been very depressed for a very long time and it's been hard. And I really appreciate what you did because I could hear other people supporting your character who is me. So there's great pride I have in the writing process because I know there's voices out there and stories that are not ready to be told, but that doesn't mean that we can't give them a little assistance and a voice to know that they're not alone. Talk to us about the creative process when you're coming up with a new script. Yeah. So I have probably 120 scripts now, unique scripts. And I go through the same process. We'll say, Paul, you would contact me and you say, I'd like to do a show on workplace harassment. I said, wonderful. What is a scenario that you um, uh, either are trying to preach? You know, what kind of environment or what is something that you feel like is happening? Because your issue with workplace harassment might be on um, jokes that are going a little too far. Uh, the person to the office to the right of you might be dealing with lack of hiring in the diversity um, uh, pool or or there's no diversity in the hiring board. So there's a lot of different ways that we can do it. I want to understand what your message is. What do you want to take from them? From there, I create a synopsis, a storyline of what the actors might go through, who's the protagonist. Where's the antagonist? And I send it back to the client. Is this kind of the, the feel that you want to go through? And once I get the green light, I have a free for all. And I actually draw from a lot of my experience in my um, master's program. Uh, I studied something called theater of the oppressed and um, create my own method and formula off of ideas and techniques that I've uh, studied or experienced in other contracts. And ultimately what the client gets is about a 60 minute training where 10 to 15 minutes of it are actors creating the storyline, right? The audience needs to know who they are, how we're going to reference them. And then the rest of the dialogue is passed to the audience. Again, how did you see this? How did we get here? And the, the client is a part of this entire process. So I'm checking in, hey, you want to talk about uh, workplace harassment? Do you want to talk about um, uh, team cohesion? Or do you want to talk about why someone might not want to report the inappropriate behavior? Or do you want to talk about the uh, efficacy of those that speak up or lack thereof? And so they're very much involved and then they give me the freedom. So the audience, when they're when they're in the live training, they are involved the entire time. And the client who has been a part of it is also surprised by the work because we may change things up on them a little bit. So they're uh, not seeing the Easter eggs that we put in there or they get to participate. And we, we just have so much fun with it. Um, it's a great process. And then all of this leads up to the most important part of our show known as bystander intervention. So we say, we've talked about it. You've seen the actors play it out with all the information you have. What would you do if you were in this office? 
and you heard someone make that joke, or you saw someone belittling the behavior of our antagonists, what could you say? What could you do? They give us answers. And then we say, wonderful. Instead of telling us, come show us. And they come up on stage and our actors challenge them because ultimately we want the challenge to be authentic. So the audience members get an opportunity to practice and have like a test run or a fire drill of their responses. And a lot of times people do fantastic. They say, I didn't know I had it in me. And we want their nerves and their adrenaline to be real because if we're in a situation where we need to speak with a colleague or a boss or um, a superior in any way and say, I really feel uncomfortable when you say this or, um, you know, my superior is touching my shoulder and I don't like that. How can we practice that? So people ultimately can take the pure praxis knowledge and information and method into their professional settings. So if that does have happen and the shoulder touch does take place, we can say, I'm reminded that that's not wrong. I'm reminded that I have a voice to say that that's not appropriate and I'm not gonna be embarrassed to do so. So it's a huge process. And ultimately after participants see our training, they are able to take the skills and translate that into their personal. There, I'm, there must be a lot of overlap because you have so many scripts that you've written. So when uh, somebody new comes to you and, and says, hey, this is the scenario. I mean, are, are in the back of your head going, oh, man, I, I did that. That's that's script 56. <laughs> Let me send them for script 56. I mean, is that something that that, that goes on with you? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we offer that to clients. We say, you know, we have a really good working show right now. Um, I think this might fit for you. Is this something that you would want to do? And they say, absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. So we may still fine tune certain uh, points, you know, if we're working with a military community and then I'm working with a Title IX um, uh, department at a college campus and they say we want basically the same thing, military verbiage versus civilian college students age uh, verbiage, drastically different. So we check in with the client no matter what. But yes, there are a lot of times where a client will say something so specific and I'm like, oh, good. Script 67 can come back in hand. So it's fun. And how many actors are with you when you when you do this traveling show? So we used to travel with a huge group. Um, we used to travel with eight individuals and so two were facilitators and five were actors and then we would have kind of a program manager and that was great when we first started traveling especially because of the magnitude that we were gone it was very important that we took care of ourselves so we were rotating all throughout the different roles because sometimes we do up to three trainings a day and they're each 60 minutes sometimes we would have five days of training now imagine you're going to Japan and traveling to different parts of Japan. That is a lot of work. So for one person to facilitate or for one person to play the survivor or the victim of a story that many times, that's not good for our mental health. So we would switch out. So for a while we were traveling with that. Now that we're um, uh, uh, mastering a little bit more our craft and we have more facilitators than performers, we're down to about four. We've done as small as three, which is 
wonderful. It is a lot more work as you can imagine, because you're jumping in from actor to facilitator, but that's part of the challenge as well. We enjoy uh, trying to do something new and seeing what's going on because I go back to constantly, it's a workshop. We're learning through this workshop. So how can the audience learn with us? And we try to figure out things that will work in the future or how could this be more effective? We just did a training at UCI for the School of Medicine interns and they're at a week long retreat. And we went in there and started doing um, implicit biases and microaggressions from patient to uh, doctor or resident or intern. And that was a smaller group. So we don't need a huge peer process team to go in there. Also, sometimes that's a little intimidating. So we want to go in there and ease them with their comfort because we need them to feel comfortable enough to engage and take from that as well. I want to dive into kind of the business side of, of things because obviously you got employees. I don't know if they're independent contractors or, or are they on the um, they're part of the payroll um, employer, full-time employers. So have you developed like an HR system? How, how do you get keep all that straight? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> we have a lot. I would love to do independent contractors because a lot of my team, since the work is so sporadic, you know, sometimes we're working, like I said, we, at the very beginning, we've been working since January to since um, um, from January until yesterday, one to two trainings a week. And it's a lot of extensive travel. April was sexual assault awareness month. So we were gone with multiple teams in different areas. Now that I have a little bit more time between, we have a few months before we start to pick back up again, we can focus a little bit more on the structure of the business. So we have to put a lot of that, um, um, those tactics not in place. Independent contractors, as much as I would like that because they're coming and going. And also I work with a lot of great uh, advocates who say, I love your work, but I work full time over here. Maybe once a year I can pop in. I say, yes, I, I love that. I have such trust in my team. Other people want to work year long. So ultimately I have to treat them as employees uh, just because of California law. And uh, I wish that wasn't the case for their benefit. Um, but it seems to work. You know, I've, I've been doing this for so long. And I would say from the very beginning, I would say about 80% of the people who started working with me in 2015 are still working with me in some capacity now. So we're very, very happy, but we make sure everyone's taken care of. You know, the great benefit of me being the owner as well as being on location is I'm able to check in with everyone all the time. I have great relationships with them because I want to make sure that they're taken care of, not just in the capacity of the professional sector, but when you travel with people the way that I've traveled with them, you bond with them. COVID was very difficult for me and a lot of uh, the people that we worked with because we were so used to being connected and having each other's back because the work is not easy. I We say performance and a lot of people think, oh, you're just actors. It doesn't mean it doesn't wear on you to play this. Or if someone comes up to you and discloses something very personal and very tragic, it will weigh heavy on your heart and your mind. And so we are very connected. We've seen each other have um, babies and get uh, uh, married. We've seen them have triumphs and failures. So uh, 
people. It's um, something I really do pride myself in is making sure to be connected with those individuals because peer praxis is so important to me. It always will. And I could not have done it without the trust of this team that believed in me continuing this and um, writing and again, learning from each other. It's been, it's one of the most rewarding experiences I could ever, ever have. Absolutely. With you traveling so much and you having a family, how do you, how do you juggle that? Oh my gosh, it's so lot. Um, if my husband listens to this, he'll be rolling his eyes at this point because it's hard. It is so hard. I think it's hard for anyone to work, have kids, even without kids. It is hard to live and be social and take care of yourselves and have a clean house. There's a lot of things. So I have a great team. Um, I am so unbelievably lucky that my parents still live in Lakewood, very close to us. They absolutely adore our kids. I am even more lucky that I married someone who has amazing parents who live just as close and they're present for our children. So I've had a great support in that. And you know, it takes a lot of moving apart around to make sure that the kids are taken care of or in a million camps so I can do things like this. And so it's not easy. I miss them. But um, I know a big part of who I am is uh, performing and traveling and doing this type of work. So I have a great support system and a great partner. Um, my My husband, Evan, is the biggest advocate for me to do this type of work. So even when it feels like things are not going well, or I haven't had work in a while, um, he will always push knowing that this is what I am meant to do. And uh, he said it before that he's meant to also support this dream because it's not just, you know, passion project. It is my passion. And so having that support makes it a lot easier for me to jump on that plane or, have long hours or uh, have to sacrifice something for me to support someone else in my life. So I feel very, very lucky that I have that network of people. That's, that's tremendous. And obviously needed. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, what do you tell your, your kids? Because obviously I'm sure there's times where your kids probably miss their mom, you know? <laughs> so no. I don't know the conversations you might have with your kids about that, but. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my kids aren't as shocked anymore as my um, new parent friends. Mm -hmm. So those that I'm meeting as my kids get older, they're like, how are you gone all the time? My kids were born with me doing this. And so I was traveling and seven months pregnant with my oldest. And, you know, he was the pure praxis baby. He was the first uh, to be uh, a part of the my big family of um, my team. And so now they just kind of get used to it. But I think it's actually a good thing because they know I come back. Anytime I say I'm going on an airplane, it doesn't necessarily matter where I'm going. They know I'm coming back. And now that FaceTime is so easy. I mean, my kids just want to play with the bitmojis and look at my face as like a cat or a dog. And so they're they're fine it's hard but you know when you're present home 
um, you can be uh, present when you're gone. And again, I think a huge thing that makes it easy is living somewhere like Long Beach, where there's so much to do. There's always an activity or a place we like to go to. So when we come home, it's not, hey, let's go have a treat and go do this. Let's go enjoy where we live and do that as a family. So I am always happy to come back because um, I miss my life here, of course, when I'm gone. I, of course, miss traveling and performing when I'm at home. But to come home and know that there's so much community and exposure to great things for myself, my partner, and my my children are the best thing. That's great. Um, what's the future hold for Kelly? You know, I really want to keep doing uh, these trainings. It really is about adapting and finding new ways to uh, tap into that creative outlet. Um, I have some big, big potential contracts pending, not as large as the Department of Navy was, but some enough that I can bring on some new team members and get that tour going. So uh, I don't see myself stopping this anytime soon, but I would love to find new ways to adventure with these outlets and uh, continue the message that I, I support so much. And if organizations are listening to this, uh, how could they get in touch with you? Absolutely. They can go to the Pure Praxis website, uh, purepraxis.com. There's a contact form that they could reach out there. Um, and we take all types of requests. They can reach out. We also have social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So if anyone is interested, please check us out. I guarantee the training that you have is wonderful, but we're uh, impactful and inspirational and we bring humor. That's something a lot of programs uh, miss, I think. I think those conversations are always serious, but we want to laugh, right? We want to enjoy ourselves while we're there. And we remember laughing. We remember having those good moments. So if you're looking to revamp, if you're looking for something or you just don't know how to have the conversation or you personally are looking for someone else to take over the conversation, please contact me, contact Peer Praxis. And I guarantee you're going to have such a great experience and you will remember it and people will remember uh, the method that we can provide. Speaking of fun, let's end this on a, on a fun note. Yeah. What's uh, a few of your favorite places to eat in Long Beach? Gosh, all I want to do is eat in Long Beach. Uh, open Sesame. I'm sure every time you um, talk to someone from Long Beach, they, they would say open Sesame. It's just incredible. I love finding new people. We just uh, have some new neighbors moved in and we told them about it. And within that night, they were sending us pictures of all the food. So uh, open sesame. Truthfully, my family and I, we love to go to Second Street. Anything on Second Street is spectacular. Sushi on Fire is the best sushi in our mind. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of borders Lakewood, Long Beach. I love Pan Vamarn. Thai, Japanese, uh, it's spectacular if you're That's looking. right on uh, Carson, right? Carson and Bellflower? Yeah. Yep, Carson and Bellflower. It's amazing. Um, sorry, Liquid, you don't have a lot of good options. This is the one. Uh, so go do that. And yeah, those are our, our main hubs. So I recommend anyone who hasn't done that, 
go take a walk on Second Street in Belmont Shore and you will fall in love with all the options they have. I would agree. I, I've gone to all three of those restaurants, Sushi on Fire, Open Sesame and, and Panavar. I've been to all three. So I agree. They're both uh, all three are up there, in my opinion. And I love Second Street, too. I, I take walks there all the time, not necessarily even to eat, just to Right. I just like to walk. People watch. It's 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 always so fun. I always like to go to the uh, stroll and savers they have in the summertime. I can't wait. I can't wait for those. Yeah. Well, they've been going on. Uh, the, the next one, I I believe, is uh, in in July. So it'll it, it'll go on until uh, September, I believe. I'll see you out there with all the tickets. <laughs> right on. Kelly, it's been so nice getting to know you, getting to know what you do, and and the fact that you love Long Beach. So thank you for coming on. Paul, thank you for this. I know I shared my gratitude at the very beginning, but it's so wonderful to hear from other people from Long Beach. So thank you for having this opportunity. When I do interviews, they're so short. It was so nice to talk and go through the journey and reflect on a lot of things that I don't think I've translated, translated out loud. So I appreciate your time as well problem. It's been a long beach day. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.